My name is Andrew Cleary, and you are listening to the F1 Podcast. What's up, everyone? It is Richie here of the F1 Podcast. Today is August 23, 2023, and we are back from summer break. Andrew and Erica are here to join me. The squad is back. Hello, everyone. How's it going? How was your break? Very eventful. Uneventful. No silly season. Andrew, we saw some big news on social media. Would you like to share? Yes, I uh, tied the knot as one kids as kids say. I am officially engaged with my uh, beautiful to be bride, Brett. So we're very excited for the next chapter of our lives together. Tied the knot, and I was like, "Did you also get married? What?" <laughs> I don't know. I, I it pretty much like once you put the ring on it, say it's like you you're. It's just a formality at that point going through the ceremony. <laughs> What's that term that like if you don't have the ceremony, elope? Is that yeah. it? Yeah, elope. I was like, did you guys all do that in one week? Anyways, okay. Could have, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Semi-tie the knot, let's say. So anyways, but congratulations, Andrew. Very excited for you both. And mm-hmm. I know we're going to have a couple of drinks to celebrate that uh, in a month's time. Uh, also, we are 22 followers away from 600 on Instagram. Uh, and I think there's what eight days left of August. I mean, we're gonna have to keep pushing, but let's try to get to 600 by September 1st. So we all really appreciate all the support everyone has been giving us so far. Uh, you know, it's been a pretty interesting kind of quiet summer on a couple of things, but you know, we're excited to kind of get back into the Dutch Grand Prix. I mean, I tried to do a recording uh, to celebrate our birthday last weekend. It took me like 10 minutes just to record that one minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> bit just so we might be a little rusty this time around now we finished the summer break now we're going to go into the remaining races of the season kind of where we stand at the mid-season review Max Verstappen and Red Bull have been dominating galore uh, winning 12 out of the 12 races 10 going to Max Verstappen Sergio Perez uh, winning two so I guess we have a couple of questions here and let me just open it up to everybody who has impressed you so far in terms of drivers this season? I think there's been a lot of interesting battles in the midfield, but I think there's been a couple of names. So I'm just going to open up the floor for you guys. Impressed. So, you know, it's it's tough. Like when a team dominates where you have 12 wins of Grand Prix and then they've won every sprint race. I think you just have to say a huge shout out to Red Bull and Andrea Newey for making like probably one of the best cars we'll ever, we'll ever see don the tracks of Formula One. Uh, I don't see anything stopping them this year <laughs> for the rest of the year, especially when other teams are starting to develop their cars for next season. I would honestly, in a weird way, would love to see them go 22 for 22 win every sprint race and just dominate, just, just absolutely dominate the rest of the season and just showcase, you know, beat every, every team record. I think they can get up towards like 986 team total points if they were to go one twos with fastest laps and winning sprints for the remainder of the season. So that would be insane. It would blow Mercedes' 765-point season out of the water. And if Max just starts, keeps setting all of his records, we might be witnessing the greatest season of domination ever to Don Formula One. That is an insane number of points for a single team to have. Cool. And as much as people know, I'm all about like, yeah, let's let's get some variety in there. I kind of want to see it now mm-hmm. that I know that that's a possibility. I want to see how absurdly high they can set the record for this. It's interesting just to see, and especially 
for me who was in uh, Montreal for the Canadian Grand Prix, just how much of a jump that Max can achieve when he's in that car. Because he's been winning races, whether if it's like 22 seconds, 34 seconds, or we're kind of seeing it all. I really hope he doesn't win in Italy. That would be nice if Ferrari can at least do well there. But it's been pretty remarkable to see Red Bull kind of just achieve this kind of stature that not a lot of teams can say they've done before. But I think I think some kudos needs to go to a couple other drivers in the grid. And I think one for me, Fernando Alonso. For someone that we've criticized, I've criticized before, and I bite my tongue when I say this, I personally did not think that the Austin Martin, the him moving to Austin Martin was going to be the great decision. Little do we know, things have changed. <laughs> Didn't you say like he was going to be out by like the summer break at one point? <laughs> you lose. He would have been out. I thought he was going to move, go to like pull a Kimi Raikkonen and go drive somewhere else, but... Uh, yeah, he's sitting at 149 points. In in theory, if both the Red Bull, Red Bull drivers were disqualified, uh, he would have been he would be leading the current Formula One grid right now. Hot dang! I mean, as an Aston Martin fan, I just it's a breath of fresh air to have a talented driver like Fernando Alonso be the number one, clear number one, scoring 76 percent of our team's points so far this season, and you know having a, over a hundred point gap to his teammate by the halfway mark. He's the reason why we're like where we are in the constructors in terms of P P3 in that area, because without him, we would be fighting for P6, P7 potentially, right? And it's just, it's good to see that, you know, to have him there and just be able to kind of bring this team and overachieve um, with the car. I think it's pretty cool too. Like, I, I'm sure I've brought this up before, but the fact that he did retire and take his season off to come back. I was always kind of wondering if we would see him kind of really at the front of the pack ever since that happened. Like he had a couple of years at Alpine really kind of struggling, although that's as much to do with the team as anything else. But you do wonder, like he had a year off. Is this all we're going to get? He's moving to Aston Martin, which is another typically kind of like midfield team, not really leading the charge. You wonder if you're just going to get more of the same. I've been pleasantly surprised and I kind of love that. I mean, I know everyone jokes that in his mind, he's still way younger after that one accident when he thought he was a kid again. But uh, you know what? Even even if that is the case, just keep trucking, man. Keep keep pushing for it and put some pressure on the other teams while you're still racing. And just come to think, just to add on to Erica's point there, like he accomplished five podiums in the first six races in a car that he's never driven before. And it was kind of just had to go with it. You know, I think one one comment here that we have is like Oscar Piastri. And, you know, I do kind of see that, especially in the last couple of races that I wouldn't say is he completely impressed me so far. And this is probably the, the problem for me is they have McLaren had so much momentum going into the summer, especially with the last kind of recent successes, particularly at the British Grand Prix in Hungary. Like, I hope, especially for Oscar, too, like that kind of can continue into the next part of the season. Because um, like he clearly was showing some good drives when the car was actually there. Yeah, I I have my hopes for him because even when the car was underperforming, we did still see him pull him that car into the points on a couple of occasions. Earlier in the season, when we were in Australia, he finished P eight. We also have a P ten finish in Monaco, which is just before we kind of started to turn the corner here. So we, and he's 11th in the driver championship against people who are much more tenured. Like he's ahead of Pierre Gasly. He's ahead of 
Albin and Hulkenberg, Bottas, and granted, while some of these people are not driving the best cars out there, like we've commented on how impressed we are with Albin's driving. So very exciting to kind of see that we've got a rookie who there was like so much talk and craziness. Like you think about this time last year and it's when the drama with Alpine was going down. And so it does seem like it was a gamble worth taking for McLaren. And he's really showing that he earned that seat, even though, you know, of course I am very happy that Daniel Ricardo is back and was kind of done dirty, but I digress. <laughs> Overall though, I just love to commend as much at the beginning of the season, it was, uh, you know, how they treated Danny Rick at the end of the season you know, I kind of smirked when we saw McLaren just be like the joke of the paddock pretty much for the few, for the first six, seven races of the season in the sense that, you know, they were late on their development. It was kind of like a just desserts of what happened, but uh, I can't like help giving up, giving them enough praise to, you know, how they turned that around, like really pretty much building a rocket ship in the back of the car for a few weeks. I don't know if you both saw it, but um it was the Monterey car show was this past weekend. And uh, Zach Brown had dinner with Adrian Newey and Adrian Newey was wearing a McLaren hat, like a papaya <laughs> McLaren hat. And Zach Brown was wearing a Red Bull racing hat. Oh, really? Just imagine what that, that universe would have been like. But honestly, with the last few weeks, it looks like Adrian Newey is kind of like rubbed off on the McLaren car because they've been absolutely rapid and their points have been proven, you know, Two podium finishes for Lando back-to-back in uh, Silverstone and then Hungaro ring. And then Piastri finishing on the podium in the sprint. And unfortunately, uh, tagged got tagged by signs there in Belgium. But okay. what could have been, could have been another great stop, a great uh, race for Piastri there should that not happen. So I'd like to commend that he, as a rookie driver, is really showing his uh, medal out there. And he's really forcing, I think, Logan Sargent to start waking up into Williams and try to start making out some team results um, there for points. The whole season cannot be sunshine and rainbows. Who has been the biggest disappointment? And for those that have not been following, we've already lost one driver who got demoted. And I think let's just start with Nick DeVries. Like there was a lot of hope and admiration. And, you know, he proved himself when he had that one stint in a Williams car and He's no longer in a Formula One car right now. And Daniel Ricciardo took a spot. It's kind of crazy to see how little time he had in seat. I think because he was someone who wasn't necessarily coming in fresh to Formula One, like he had been a reserve driver for a few other teams. He's a little older. Like we said, he'd had opportunities in cars before. And I think the expectations on him were a lot higher than they expected. And like as cutthroat as Red Bull is, We've seen what the last couple years at Alpha Towery were like. So I, I'm kind of curious. How do you guys think that went down? Do you think he was fairly treated or was it maybe a little bit too harsh and too soon to make that call? Yeah, I mean, like it, I have two trains of thoughts on this because on one hand, I think it's just that's what Red Bull does, right? Yeah. They're so cutthroat by nature, right? They want the best performance out of everything and um, you know, to be fair, at the beginning of the season, we're thinking, oh, maybe he can really show Yuki um, how it's kind of done, right? Being a Formula E champion and coming into the F1 world. But clearly that that script was flipped when Yuki kind of showed the dominant side of the race car um, over Nick. And it, it's tough, right? Because I think, there, I think Red Bull all along was trying to get Danny Rick back into his seat because 
of how unfortunate he was treated at McLaren, right? Coming out and then, you know, wanting to have him on the grid, not only just for driver purposes, but I think for marketing dollars overall in the sport, especially for Red Bull, right? That is a, uh, he has more of a play there, right? So unfortunately that those politics kind of led also with poor performance kind of led to DeVries' devotion, which is unfortunate. But in a way, I think if he was to turn back the clock, I think he tried and push to get a seat at Williams before Sargent did. Because I think he would have been better in that type of team environment with Albon. I know that he probably doesn't bring as much money um, as Logan did with the U.S. sponsors and have Doralton being, you know, the capital firm in that sense where the U.S. driver in because that was the money that that's where the money was flowing at the time. But if there was any pull for him to kind of become a Williams driver, I think that would have been the play for him. Yeah, I I, it, it, I think you kind of took the words out of my mouth. I think that is the cutthroat of just like how Red Bull is because we saw that with Pierre Gasly, we saw that with Alex Albon, uh, we saw that with Danny Crea. Like the list can go on and on um, of the amount of drivers that have just kind of just been quote unquote sewered. I guess is the term that I'm looking for. Yeah, and even just the scene, the kind of the reunion tour that Daniel Ricciardo has, and especially in a car like that he's driving in. It kind of just goes to show is like, was this really the plan all along? <laughs> Let's talk about some other drivers. Uh, I think, I know Carlos Perez, I, we wrote Sergio Perez here. And are even though that he's P2 in the, the standings here, do we really see that it's a disappointment for him? I, I, for me, I think one of my biggest things that I've kind of noticed is how he can't keep up with, with uh, Max Verstappen. And he pretty much has identically the same car. I also think just the qualifying performance is what really has people kind of scratching their heads a bit, right? Like, yeah, sure, he's finished really high overall in like these other races and he's got two wins under his belt, which is two more wins than anyone else on the grid. But wouldn't you expect this guy, if he's in this car where Max is so dominant everywhere, to also be... You know, if, if Max is P1 because of the talent, well, you'd, you'd expect Chaco to be P2 forever and always, even in qualifying, so to speak, because this car is so crazy, right? I don't know. That's where I think people feel like he's underperforming is because of that. Well, I'm just like, I think that's the big thing is even we saw in a lot of other like teams, whether if it was like Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas, or even like when it was Schumacher and Rubens Barrichello, they're always like one, two for the most part. And even that he, if Checo's even had bad qualifying, you can't just be expected every time to go, oh, I'm going to have a bad qualifying. I'm going to start at the back of the pack. It's just, yes, it's easy in that car per se, but like you can't, that, that shouldn't be the expectation every race for a dominant car like the Red Bull one is. Well, also too, I think he kind of, he kind of put more pressure on himself at the beginning of the season by saying that he could compete for world championship in that car. And I think it's evident to know that Max is obviously clearly the number one driver and that, that, you know, that will never, that won't change as long as Max is on, is in Red Bull. Right. But I think he set some out of world expectations for him, which rightfully so, right. You want to show some confidence going into the season. And at the start of the season, having won two or four races and kind of having that lead for initial part of the season was key. But it all unraveled at Monaco, I think, when he got lapped not once, but twice by his teammate. And that kind of started the uh, downward spiral for him, kind of contend for the championship. And 
Maddox has put himself on another level where he hasn't lost since Azerbaijan. And I mean, any race since Azerbaijan, he has a hundred and I think it's like 25 point lead over his teammate. Wow. 125 points over his teammate. And we're not even half, we're halfway done the season. I totally forgot that he made those comments at the beginning of the season. That kind of puts another uh, bit of light shone on it there, eh? <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's, uh, I think he kind of dug himself a hole that he's unfortunately have not been able to get out of. So he really needs to kind of, I think it would be great to see him do really well in these next couple of races, maybe win one or two of the following, of the remaining 10, um, just to, you know, over Max to say, hey, look, Max, like, you know, you're not all, you're not the only dominant force here. Like, you know, be kind of just kind of, it would be great just to compete with Max, right? In that, in that case, and take a couple of these races from coming up. So I think speaking about like seats, because I think that's like the most interesting part going in, but just some honorable or dishonorable mentions um, that were big, biggest disappointments that we thought of. George Russell and Carlos Sainz are not having the greatest of seasons uh, compared to their teammates. Uh, you know, they are technically still top 10, but they could, they should be, be doing better. Um, and <laughs> Alpine's management team, uh, just the cluster, <laughs> the cluster that happened uh, with the whole Otmar Satmer, if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but just. Well, uh, it's, it all starts with like, when I read that Laurent Rossi, when he stepped down, he was the one that kind of handled all the, uh, he was around that team that handled the Piastri negotiations. I'm like, just, yeah, just downhill from all the way there. And just, you know, calling out his team for not having the correct car this year. And it's just been an utter nightmare um, for Alpine, who sit well back of fifth place and hope to make a turnaround charge in that case. And actually, one, this is a funny comment. Just we'll get into the next question. But how clean the, the races have been so far? We need action. What do you mean by that, Andrew? <laughs> I mean, like, this, like ever since, need, Austra- need, ever since Australia, since Australia, there hasn't been, like, any red flags. There haven't been any, like, timely safety cars that made 2021 so special. Like, come on. <laughs> so basically, We're, we need we'll, a Gotifi out there. We need just, like, uh, you know, like a 10-lap left safety car it bounces the pack back up and you know has a race so what you're telling us is we should hashtag draft latifi again pretty much bring back gotifi hashtag okay, petition we'll, fi- we'll figure out what the right hashtag is for that but like i'm totally like on board for that someone yoink this man out of his masters <laughs> yeah <laughs> just, give, just give him the masters at that point and tell him to come back listen uh, go latifi i have an mba it's not worth it don't do it <laughs> speaking from experience don't speaking do it. from experience it looks nice on a sheet of paper it's fine but that's it do a barrel roll who is on the hot seat for the second half of the season um this is sucks because i think the only canadian on the track is probably on the hot seat <laughs> yeah his yeah. ass better be burning because he needs to start he needs to buck up here a little bit and you know i i understand for the first few races the both broken wrists affected him for sure, but I'm pretty sure he's 100. He's back to near full health. Um, so it's about time he starts pulling up and uh, pull, up his, pull up his pants and stop giving everybody excuses to say it's daddy's money that's keeping you at the team. Come yep. on, show your medal. Let's get some good results. Um, beat your teammate a few times too would be ideal to showcase that you're with, that you're up on the same level as Alonzo. And like as much as daddy's money is, I'm sure, helping him stay there, like, it is still a team and Lawrence Stroll will start getting pressure from other people. Like as much as it's 
probably his decision in a lot of ways because he has so much influence. Like ultimately, if you've got some of the rest of your team, like threatening to quit, really questioning what's going on, you're getting pressure. If it starts like really getting picked up in the news media and the outlets and stuff, you you, you got to show people that you deserve to have the seat outside of just a little guardian angel floating around in the top seat. You know, I think for me, it's been really interesting is Kevin Magnuson. Earlier in the season, I thought he was going to do significantly better than Nico Hulkenberg. And we're seeing in in moments on the track where Hulkenberg has been like easily beating him in qualifying and and doing like significantly better in that car. I'm not saying that they're having a great season per se, but nine points versus two. um, He's just been very interesting to kind of see that battle. I mean, Haas has not always been the top-notch team um, every weekend, but... Just like, what's going on there, Kat Magnuson? Like, what's going on? It does raise a couple of eyebrows, I think, especially so many people being like, oh, well, Kevin raced with the team. He probably has a better idea of what's going on. And he was with the team last year, whereas Hulkenberg's like new to Haas. So I've been a little bit surprised too. Like, granted, Nico's points all come from a single race and Kevin, as much as it was just like finishing 10th, he did get points in two races, but the qualifying especially has been like vastly different. Like this is not the guy we saw on full position in Brazil last year. When you see him in this Haas right now, it's a very different driver behind the wheel. And Haas in general confused me because 2018 was their best season. They had they scored 93 points, finished fifth, right? And you think, like, do you think Gene would want to put some money into the team at that point? You just they, they find ways to cut costs and they just don't make that many investments in the team. And it's frustrating because there's a lot of potential there. You know, showcasing that they can finish in the in the midfield, you know, then I just think they need to. Maybe this partnership with Alfa Romeo will help out quite a bit in terms of that development dollars, but they, it, it's a frustrating, I'd be frustrated if I'm a Haas fan because there have, they've had had a success and they scored, I think 90, they scored 93 points in 2018. They haven't even clipped 93 total points since then. Oof. Like total from like 2019 to this season, they have like, they scored 79 points as a team. You know, like just put some damn money into it, Gene. Or find someone else to help give you that money in order to turn it around. Like, come on. I know. It's it's a frustrating mark. So we've kind of already talked about Perez. Like, just Mm -hmm. just skipping. So I I think we could skip him. Um, I think the former Red Bull seat, Daniel Ricciardo, I think we we did mention him but coming back. But do we see him as a replacement? Do we see, like, do we really see him on the hot seat right now? Or is he just trying to figure out his future for the next season? I want to say he's trying to figure out his future in the sense that if he is going to come back, does he come back with AlphaTauri? Because clearly, not. I'm pretty sure they'll keep Perez for next season, regardless of how he finishes, just based on he's been able to drive. He's been the best number two they've had since Max Verstappen kind of has technically become the number one. And why ruin a good thing when they're going to about to set some crazy records this season overall. And uh, I I think they'll keep Checo. It's a matter... I don't know where Daniel ends up next year. I honestly really can't tell you. Um, and I think these final 10 races are a really big indication of where he goes. Like either he will become a third driver again for Red Bull, or he might secure a contract with a team in the midfield or below. 
but he's got to prove that now going forward. Yeah, and I, I'm just trying to think because, you know, one one thing that we've noticed last year compared to this year is a lot of the seats moving and a lot of the seats kind of moving. Like, you know, when that first person retires or somebody announces they're moving to another team, we didn't really get to see that this much year. I know there's rumors of Carlos Sainz going to Audi when they come they come in. Um, I think those are kind of been building up. Yeah, I, I kind of, you would think this summer would they produce that, but it's been a quiet summer uh, more more of the rumor mill than the actual like announcements of seats. Yeah, we're not getting the silly season that we got last year, and I kind of miss it, honestly. The last two years, we've had a lot go on over the summer break, and really no- nothing other than Otmar leaving, truly. If there was any time to have a silly season based on everyone's kind of viewpoint of the first 12 races, it would have been now. Yeah. So other than Red Bull basically winning every race, is there a track that stood out, uh, a race that stood out for you? Like, yes, it was nice to go to Canada again, like go to Montreal again and watch Grand Prix, but it was not as exciting as last year's race. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to look at an, another track, particularly, I think like, the you know, we have here Australia, Silverstone, Bahrain. Um, I don't know which one, who wants to start with which track stood out for them. I can't tell who you're pointing at because you. I'm sure I appear in a different spot on my screen than I do you. on yours. <laughs> you. Cool. Um, so for me, one of the races that stood out was Silverstone. I mean, this is always a really fun race. It's a big event, huge for the UK, but by this point in the season, quite a few teams had brought some upgrades to their cars. So we actually saw a little bit more excitement Maybe not from the front with the Red Bull, but from some of the other folks just just in behind, right? Like we saw the super good looking and very competitive McLaren kind of come out of the blue. At this point, we'd seen some changes to Mercedes as well, and they were starting to look a little speedier and kind of come into the fold a little more. Of course, we've all been excited about Aston Martin. So it was just nice to see different logos and cars jockeying for position at the front as opposed to just kind of like Red Bull running away with the race like we've as much as you know Max does consistently win by by a lot it was more exciting to see who was going to end up on podium were we going to see you know um a couple more McLarens up there as opposed to you know just just we like we I I was so close like I, I was so hopeful that Piastri would get P3 and like get his first podium in his rookie season but nonetheless, like it was a really fun race to watch, like to see Lewis get up there for his home GP, like that's always so meaningful for him. So um, that was one that definitely kind of made me kind of excited and and keen to keep watching the rest of the season, even though we've got some dominance by a couple of the teams out front. For me, I thought Australia was just one of those just wild, wacky races, right? I mean, three red flags. In the session, of course, when we're trying to watch it here in North America, it's like two in the morning. <laughs> the race doesn't end till like four thirty-five, and I fell asleep during it. <laughs> you're at the point like, what happened? And you wake up, you go backwards. You're like, how is it three red flags? <laughs> right, but um, it also had just an absolute injustice with Carlos Sainz picking up that ghost five-second penalty when they didn't even like call the lap and. Um, finishing under the SC and everybody just screaming screaming as quickly to the line as they could once he passed so that he could finish uh, inside that five second gap where he went from like P3 down to like P11 as a result so it was just one of those silly season silly races uh, or silly races that had a lot of action 
but um, an unfortunate FIA justice kind of put a little sour note on it. I just figured out what our favorite, my favorite race of the season was. Mm-hmm. It was Bahrain when there was 35 of us at Trinity Common to kick off the season. And we were so excited thinking that it was going to be a competitive season. <laughs> you lose. And seeing Andrew's face when Austin Martin got their first podium of the season. Yeah, that was, I think, by far. And the bar was sold out. Like literally people try to book tables four days before and talking to the management, they're like, yeah, we're stacked. There's, and especially we, we did have some good racing at Bahrain, um, whether if it was like Max and Sergio and like Fernando getting on the podium, I'm just trying to look, Carlos Sainz looked, look, looked pretty decent too. I think overall, I, I mean, we had high hopes the first race of the season and I can go back to listen to that episode and yeah. let's just also- jump. Go ahead. Also, lots of crying from you and I, Richie, with Leclerc and Piastri DNFing in that (laughs) one. But like, yeah, sure, man. Nothing but good times. All right. (laughs) I was enjoying my time. And then Erica's back there seeing Lando's six pit stop race. Just (laughs) the mimosas were flying. Let's just say that. Yeah. I'll never forget. I showed up there. I was like, I'll have French toast and one mimosa. And then like stuff started happening. I was like, I will have more than one mimosa (laughs) at this race. This is not the the finest of moments for McLaren, but we're turning it around. Absolutely. It's coming back around. Let's go into speaking about races, the Dutch Grand Prix this weekend. First race back from uh the break. Curious to see how everyone is going to who's going to have jitters the first like the first race back from the summer break. Uh, I feel like this is going to be so easy for the Red Bull team. It's technically yes, the Dutch fans as one of the reporters said, this is like, this feels like this is another Red Bull track in itself, but just the amount of fans that go, whether at Zandvoort, Spa, or even Austria. So, and I think that the, the track is, is to be held. They have the contract till 2025. So we're going to see some great racing continuing here. Um, I think that's going to be the first thing for me is just seeing who is going to be, um, who's going to get out their jitters. Also Ferrari uh, mentioned that Robert Schwartzman is going to replace Carlos Sainz at the first free practice session this year. So it'd be interesting to see how he does at FB one. I think this is the first time that somebody's stepping in um, this season. Uh, it's her, sorry, reserve driver stepping in. Cause I don't think anyone has else in other races. So that's what I'm kind of looking forward to this race, this, this race weekend. Crofty on a podcast, I think it was sky sports. I think sky sports made an interesting point about uh, the season and the sprint format overall. This ties into reserve drivers because he was thinking how, you know, for the sprint weekends, it would be fun if those sprint races were competed by the reserve drivers. Oh, I like that. Ooh. Because it gives them a chance to get on track, you know, keep their race craft up in that regards. And it would just be something different and exciting, I think, um, for the fans to watch and maybe make it like that own specialized championship, like a, a reverse, a, a reserve sprint championship in that regards. Cause I, I don't know if like everybody enjoys the sprint weekend format from the F1 driver's perspective. And it kind of like, to me, it mutes the point of why you even have like, it's just another race for the weekend just to add on to watch. So I think Crofty made an incredible point in saying have these reserve drivers compete in the sprint format alone. Cool to see how different drivers do in the cars. It'll be fun just to see the the, the reserve drivers get some airtime. Because who watches FP1? 
when they do it. Not many, right? I was going to say you do, but that's right. Yeah, but, but as I'm saying, like, I, I'll tune in, but it'd be fun to watch. It, it's just, it's that's free practice. There's no racing going on, right? It's just kind of a bunch of qualifying laps that they do overall, get some data for the team, and that's it. Like, it would be fun to see them race. It kind of makes me think of uh, there was a stand up comedian who talked about for the Olympics how if you've got someone, say, like running the 100 meter dash, like have just a normal person beside everyone so you can understand like how good these people are. And as much as like the reserve drivers are obviously close to the apex of the sport, like it's not just like Joe mm-hmm. Schmo hopping in a car with his neck snapping all over the place as they're going around there. But it would be interesting to kind of have that comparison of like, really, what is the difference between a reserve driver and someone who's actually in seat, right? So yeah, yeah I think that would be fun. That'd be super cool. So I'm going to post, uh, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to post this on our, like our social media channels and even on Spotify, I'm going to ask the question and I'm curious, and I really want to hear what our fans think that should reserve drivers take the regular driver's spot in sprint races going forward. I think that's definitely cool. Um, can we just talk about how the trophy this weekend literally looks like the Holy grail? I feel like it's something out of like, it's literally like the Monty Python and the Holy grail moment right now. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I was going to say, I was thinking Indiana Jones was like, no, nah, this is too nice. This is what turns you into dust. Excited for when Red will break that. Uh, you mean if Lando breaks that? Well, they did break the last one on their own accord. That's true. So one that of the two are going to break it, guaranteed. So over under, are we saying it's a bright, it's a broken trophy? I think we're going point? over 0.5 trophy smashes this weekend, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, Dutch Grand Prix, uh, I don't think it's going to be any... Shocked to see that Max is going to absolutely destroy the race. He's so good here. He's won both at Zanvoort. Um, Checo has not really been strong at Zanvoort, uh, to, to my recollection. So I think it's going to be maybe it would be a good weekend to get a turnaround. But I've heard so many rumors about, you know, Ferrari going to be the second fastest car this weekend. And I said, Martin be the second fastest car. Mercedes, McLaren, like, I'm excited to see who is actually the second fastest car this weekend with all these upgrades coming in that are supposed to be coming in for this, for the race. And um, I think I'm just, I'm just excited to get back into the F1 weekend groove, right. You know, turning the TV on, on Saturday to watch qualifying, um, you know, following it on X and Instagram and threads, kind of everyone's reactions to that. And then, watching the race on Sunday and following their reactions to that as well. And then, you know, seeing all the new memes that come from it, right. Just kind of getting back into that fun F1 groove that we haven't had for four weeks. Yeah. I think I'll just add there, like my high, my hopes are not like very high just cause I am just really don't know where, what, what to expect from teams this weekend <laughs> other than like Red Bull's going to take it away. <laughs> yeah, truly. What, what else is there out there? We don't know. Especially like you mentioned earlier, so many cars are now putting development toward next season. Like, are things going to be that different? Is someone just going to be like, we said we did that, but haha, no lol JK, more stuff coming out because that would be such a Mercedes move to pull. But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Zanford's always fun to watch people race at. It's such a fast circuit. I love that it's short and tiny and you get kind of like all kinds of chaos and motion going around there. So I'm just happy we got some racing back. Oh, we're going to have rain there. Ooh, we haven't had that before. I'm game. Yeah, I see rain in the forecast. Ooh la la, I love it. Hot dip. My goodness, hot dip. How many races have rained this season? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like every weekend we've talked about how it's going to rain. There's been a few, for sure. Like, okay. um, 
Canada. Yep. Spa. Yes. Hungary. Did Monaco? Monaco did. Yeah, cause, and then they switched their tires. Right. Yes. So that's crazy. Australia, no. Bahrain, no. Saudi Arabia, no. I don't think Iran and Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, or Miami. no. Miami, I don't think so. Spain? Let us know in the comments section. All good Let us, someone out there knows. We don't know, but someone out there knows. But either way, even though we can think of like four off the top of our heads, four out of 12 is, I feel like, an inordinate number of races to have like very notable rain so far. So I like the back half of the season. You can guarantee Singapore is probably going to be a wet race. Japan's probably going to be a a wet, a wet race. Brazil is always like an absolute crapshoot of a race in terms of weather. It could be either really sunny and beautiful or just pure soaked on the uh, racetrack. And then maybe Vegas. J- JKL, well, there's no rain in Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> no. But speaking about Vegas, uh, they finally backed away from that charge fee. They wanted to charge uh, oh, clubs. And- oh, thank uh, God. Thank God. Like, yeah, so the New York, what else? The New York Post uh, posted this saying, suggesting that they've pumped the brakes on a controversial plan to force LA clubs to cough up millions of dollars. Mind you, the, te- the still the cheapest ticket prices available for the race are still two thousand dollars. People um, are gonna pay that though. Yeah. So Formula One has charged similar fees at other street courses lo- like Monaco. Uh, but the Vegas, uh, they claim that casinos are looking for high rollers to come and gamble and that they backed off because they believe the the obstructions placed in front of businesses regarding license fee- fees and could potentially reduce the capacity of venues according to city fire codes. Well, Monaco has such a history, right? I don't like it. Like people are going to go regardless. And like people, it, it, this is the inaugural one. Yeah. yeah. So why not get as many people's eyes on this race as possible, right? And because then, as they say, cash is king, and the money is gonna be flowing that weekend. Yeah, I'm curious to see what it'll be like next year because Miami was already so much less expensive in the second year than the first. But I am also excited because they're going. They weren't allowing celebrities to like block off so many seats around them like they did at Miami. So I think we're actually going to see like a really cool crowd of just like locals, people traveling, all kinds of stuff too. So I think it's going to be like the party to be at this season, and I I can't wait. They've already closed all the streets because they were doing promo and filming everything, and they're already getting ready for it now. I have friends that were there for a bachelor party in June, and Ooh. they've already got the wheels in motion to get things ready. Speaking of which, did you see Red Bull's marketing video about uh, Vegas? I yes. thought that was quite unique. You know, Christian Horner playing James Bond was quite was quite um, fun, and uh, I, would, I would love to know how they got that car up on the roof. <laughs> It's like how you did the that. RV8 just sitting up on top of the roof there. So I just quickly just checked just for the viewers know. So hospitality for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday comes out to ten thousand dollars, almost eleven thousand dollars Canadian. I was wondering why your face was going like an absolute disgust and shock and horror. Doesn't even include Sunday, Brutal. which is probably even double of that price. Oh Anyways. yeah. Um, but yeah. So let's just jump back into it i think it's going to be really interesting to see yeah i'm kind of excited to see what's going to happen in las vegas but i think you know honestly let's get where i'm happy just to be back into formula one this weekend so i think on that note let's just end there um thank you everybody for coming back we missed you we're excited to kind of get back into things and andrew and erica it's been a while love seeing your face i mean erica i saw you last week 
Andrew, I think I'm seeing you in a couple of weeks anyways. So on that note, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Andrew and Erica, always a pleasure. Andrew, it's been a while. Can you send us off like old days? Absolutely. It has been a while, but I cannot say thank you enough to everybody who has listened to season three, episode 22 of the F1 podcast. Uh, if you are wanting to follow more great F1 content, please subscribe to our Instagram page at f1.podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, where you listen to your podcast, as well as XRG YouTube channel. Um, we are back, baby. Officially back for the Zandvoort Grand Prix or the Dutch Grand Prix this weekend. And we cannot wait to come back with our analysis of it next week and kick off the rest of the season with a bang and probably a Red Bull win. But nevertheless, have a great day and enjoy the weekend. <laughs>